Well, this morning I was getting ready, I was finishing up, and I heard a noise kind of in our hallway area, and then I hear my son, who is seven, uh, kind of scream and begin to cry. And so I finish getting ready, and I kind of give this call out to my daughter, who's 12, what happened, is everything okay? And, and Cade comes in holding his head and, and crying, and, and so, you know, I go through dad mode, what happened, are you okay, do you know your name, those, you know, those normal uh, questions you, uh, you ask. And he said, I ran into the corner of the wall. I was like, oh, man. I was like, how did that happen? He goes, well, I had the pillowcase over my eyes. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, let's start there. That was not a good decision, all right? Uh, But Cade will do this every once in a while. I've never figured it out, but he likes to cover his face and then try and navigate his way through the hallways. And it did not end well for him uh, this morning. And so literally as I'm like driving to, to... church this morning, I'm like, man, don't, don't some of us live life that way? Like, we just cover our eyes. We hope for the best. Some of, some of us do that because we know what's ahead of us. Uh, we know what tomorrow's going to bring. We know what the next year might look like. And we think, I just want, don't want to pay attention to what that's going to look like. We really don't think much past uh, the moment, right? And, and some of that, it leads us to uh, hurt, and it leads us to pain. And, and I think that for many of us, we think everything will just be okay if I don't worry about it. Now, I'm not saying you need to worry, and we're going to talk about that, but there's this idea of looking towards the future. There's this idea of having a plan. Stephen Covey, who this video is, is from, he has these seven, he wrote a book, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. They have a kid's version. And, and my kids are going through this at their school. It's called Leader in Me. And, and one of the principles is to begin with the end in mind. To begin with the end in mind. So what do you want the end to look like? At, at the end of your life, and some of you have hit that 80 and you've celebrated 80, and so maybe 85, 90. Like what, at the end of your life, what do you want your story to be? What do you want your story to tell others about yourself. I I like to picture myself at 80. I like to think about what life could look like. I've already lost my hair, so I'm there. Uh, Maybe maybe a little more gray, um, some more wrinkles. But but at the end of my life, what is really going to matter? Like, Like to think about being married to my wife for 59 years. Right? To think about that and to celebrate that and to, to picture my kids around me still loving me, believing that I love them, that they respect me, that they're honoring me, that, that there's this relationship that we've had, that they would love God. Like, I, I look to the future and I, and I dream and I have good ideas of what I want my life to look like at 80. To think about pastoring for 50 plus years and, and, and hoping that the people that I've pastored know that I loved God and I loved them. To, to really dream about the impact my family could have in a community. That at 80 to look back and think, what has my story been? Now, I, I would think that if you were to look ahead and think about your life at, at 80, uh, you would probably have some of those same ideas. Maybe the situation changes, the people change, but, but ultimately you look back and, and what you will do, because I've been with enough people who at the end of their lives have taken their last breath and, we, breath and we've never talked about the things that they had. They never talked about the money that they made, what they're even leaving financially to their kids. It's about people. It was about the stories that they told with their lives. And so I don't, I don't know what your story's been so far. I don't know if you wish things had gone differently. I, I don't know if they, they went one way and God is now using them to have an impact on other people. I don't, I don't know what your story has looked like. 
But as I said last week, I, I think that it's good news that we're all still breathing. Our, our stories aren't over yet, right? That God is still at work and God is still doing things in your life and my life. And so we can have hope. We can have hope that our future could look differently. And so, as I talked about last week, uh, I think God is still at work. I think we have to figure out what it is that we really want. What's the story that we want to tell with our lives? And here is the challenge for us. And so the, the series really is going to all fit together. And so I really hope that you'll come each week. After this week, we'll have two more. And so they kind of fit together. So if you missed last week, you might want to go back and, and listen to that on our, our YouTube uh, channel. But really what we're talking about is kind of this legacy that we're leaving. Right? That you will leave a legacy. And legacy isn't just when we die. Uh, the legacy can happen anytime we've left somewhere. So for my, my junior high, my high school students, one day you will leave high school and you will leave a story. Right? And, and people are either going to have good things to say about you or bad things to say about you or no things to say about you. Uh, if you have a job and you leave a job and you move on, it's the same thing. You're going to leave a legacy in how hard you worked and the relationships you built. They will either say good things or bad things or no things. Right? And so really, as a, as a parent, my, my kids, when I'm gone, what, what are they going to say and what will that relationship will have look like? And honestly, I, I have this thought and... I just hope that my, my kids can get through their lives without needing too much counseling from the decisions that I've made, right? I don't know if you're a parent, if you think through that, and you think, man, I just hope I've done well enough that they're healthy and they're whole. And, and so, but, but my kids are going to say good things, bad things, or no things about me. We are all going to leave a legacy. And so we, we can't just cover our heads. We can't pretend that things are just going to happen. We, we have to make some decisions and take some steps to get to that point of the legacy we want to leave. And so as I said last week, we think we want something, we get it, right? That's really not what I wanted. Or some of us don't know what we, we want. We haven't asked God. And, and that's what I was trying to get to last week. Have we, have we included God in this part where we've said, I don't know really what my story is going to look like, but God, would you be involved? And ultimately what happens is we answer the question, what do I value? What is most valuable to me and my, my life? Um, you just have to think about buyer's remorse. I remember my, my wife and I, we had just started uh, our, our marriage, our life together, and we took financial peace. I don't know if anyone's ever taken financial peace. It's supposed to help you where you don't worry and anxiety about money to set yourself up for the future. And I remember we had taken this. And then my wife uh, didn't realize that her car needed oil um, to, to run. And so uh, we, we kind of had a, and I probably should have helped with that as well, but we, uh, we lost a car. And so being in financial peace, you'd think we'd make a really wise decision, uh, but we, we didn't. And we went out and we brought a brand new SUV right off the, the lot. It's what we thought we wanted and it would, it would help us out in, in life. And then it wasn't too much longer after that, probably about the first time we had to make a payment that you're like, I don't really want this anymore. This isn't what I want. And so for, for many of you, you, you've thought you've known what you wanted. Not just in buying something, but either with a job or a person or a friendship or a house or whatever it is. And then you get it and you think, man, that's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. And so we have to figure out what is it that we, that we value. But not just what do we value, but what is most valuable. Jesus spent most of his time talking about that. Not, not about the things that we should want, but what we value. I, I want to read Matthew 6. It won't be on the screen uh, I just want to read this as we um, get going into uh, what we're going to talk about today. 
This is from Jesus. It says this in Matthew 6, verse 25. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? I try. I I don't know if it's working, but none of us can worry uh, more time. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, really, I, I've been open and honest about this, about anxiety and worry and, and just my, my journey in life uh, through those things. But man, these are difficult words to hear sometimes. I mean, when Jesus right in the beginning says, uh, don't worry about your life, anybody fail on that one? Right? We, we do. We, we hear Jesus say, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what you're going to eat later, the clothes. Uh, don't worry about even in, uh, what's going to look like in your future. Uh, you, you really consume yourself with one thing, and that's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. He's saying you're going to have all these wants, you're going to have all these needs, but man, if you would just focus in on what is most valuable, and that is the ways of, of God. That is what is most important, that we seek his kingdom first. We give our attention to that, and in that we'll figure out what is most valuable. However, if we're honest, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to do, and what comes natural is often what we go to, right? What seems natural. It's natural to worry about those things. It's natural to want certain things, but in that we often miss out on what is most valuable. Uh, we're going to look at this uh, teaching that Paul gives. Paul, I, I've said this often, he, he was not a Christian. He actually hated Christians. He was helping persecute Christians, and then God does something. So just a little bit of a side note. I was talking to Gina this morning. Uh, Gina leads a, a small group at Missouri Hills. It's a, it's a juvenile home um, for girls and boys, and she does a Bible study. We have lots of people who do Bible studies over there. Uh, but she was sharing with me this morning how she kind of took my message from last Sunday and was talking to the the girls and just ask the question, is this what you thought your life would look like? Did you envision this is where you would, you would be? And, and she said, a lot of them said, yeah. They did. It, it's what they had seen. They didn't feel like they had much worth anyways. They, they, their mom or their dad, they were locked up. And so, yeah, they just assumed that that's where they were going to be as well. I mean, that was just heartbreaking as, as Gina said that. I said, something has to happen where their paradigm can shift, where they believe that their story could look different. That just because something's happened in their past, uh, just because they've made certain decisions, doesn't mean that's what their future is going to look like. And you have this guy named Paul who has a crazy story, a crazy past, and God, God steps in and changes Paul's 
life. And so then he begins planting churches, and these Christians begin grouping up and forming, and then he would write to them. And so we're, we're going to read something he writes. It's in Romans 7. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you somewhere. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. But he writes to this group of Christians in Rome. And, Ro- and, and Romans 7.15, this could be a life verse for many of us. Uh, we could put this on a wall somewhere. Uh, I don't do this often, but we just read this with me because I think this uh, could be coming from most of our voices. Here we go. Just read it with me. I do not understand what I do. Right? I, I don't understand what I do. A- anybody else ever feel like this could be your scripture? Right? Something happens like, I just don't understand why I do that. What we could probably say is, I don't understand why I do that again, right? Uh, why did I eat that? Why did I eat that? Right, we, my family's changed our, our diet a little bit and uh, have, have been uh, vegan, vegetarian for about five months. I haven't talked a lot about it, but people are like, oh, how's it feel to be healthy? And so just let me tell you that vegan doesn't mean healthy, okay? Uh, Oreos are vegan, and uh, I love Oreos. And so a sleeve of Oreos at night is not healthy. And so often I'll ask the question, why did I do that? Right? You, you pay for those decisions that you make. And that one's, you know, kind of, kind of a, a silly one. But maybe not. Maybe food is your outlet. Maybe food is your escape. And, and you don't want it to be. And so you give into it. And you think, man, why did I do that again? Why did I sleep in? Man, I have these goals and I wanted to get up and I wanted to exercise. And I want to take care of myself. Why did I do that? Why did I send him or her that message? Why did I say yes to that? Why did I agree to do that? Why did I buy that? Or why did I commit to doing that when I really didn't want anything to do with that? Why did I? This could be the scripture for many of us. I do not understand what I do. Then he says this, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Oh, and there's these things that I want to do, and I just don't do them. There's these things in my life, the, these goals that I set, I want to do them, and then I don't. And so th- this is the thing, New Year's resolutions. I mean, we're almost out of January. I don't know if anybody's still going strong with their New Year's resolutions. This is probably about the time they start falling off. So whether it was saving money or quitting something, whether it's smoking or quit eating a certain way, or if it's exercise. If you go to the gym, I don't know if it's still busy, um, but I know it gets busy, uh, right? You just think, well, I just want to do the right thing. There's these things that I want to do with my life, and I don't do them. And then he makes this statement. There's actually these things that I hate. That's what I do. There's these things that I hate. I want nothing to do with, and I find myself doing them Uh, Paul is being extremely open and honest right here, (laughs) right? Transparent, vulnerable. I don't know if you read the Bible much, but man, the the Bible is really full of not just these people who like had it all together and did all the right things. Uh, It's really people who were working out their faith. And so you have Paul, who we consider a saint. He says, look, I I just don't understand why I do what I do. There's things I want to do, can't do them. There's these things that I hate that I still do. And this is what I know, because I'm not really different than you. Oftentimes when we do the things that we hate, what often happens is we can begin to hate ourselves. 
right? Last week we talked about shame and how we've experienced that in our lives, but, but then there's these things that we choose to do. We want nothing to do with We don't want our story to have anything to do with that, and yet we do them. And then we begin to hate ourselves. Verse 16 says this, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So the Eugene Peterson's a guy who took the Bible and paraphrased it. So I want to read the paraphrase because I think this is really helpful in how he says it. Same scripture, just sound a little different. It says this. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Realize, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Oh, man. Just the language there of, man, there are these things that I don't want to be a part of my life. There's these things that I want. And I'm realizing, and Paul is writing this, Paul was one of the best rule followers you could ever find. Right? He even says that about himself. Like, he knew the law and he kept it really well. He was a religious person. But something happens where Paul realizes, look, even as good as I was, I still can't always do what I want to do. There's things that I don't want to do, and I find myself doing them. He needs help. He needs more than just a list of do's and don'ts. He needs help to really do what God has called him to do. I don't know if you can relate to Paul, but I, I can. And I don't know if you've gotten to a point where you have realized, because this is important, if you've gotten to a point where you can acknowledge that maybe you don't know what's best. That's a tough place to get to. It's a tough place to say, all right, God, maybe I need help. It's a tough place to say, look, there's something in me that's not right. There's something in me that often leads me astray, and it causes me to do the things that I do not want to do. And that's often when the natural or the sinful nature gets in the way. Uh, Andy Stanley's a pastor in the Atlanta area. I, I follow him and I read a lot of his stuff and I, I really like what he says about this. He says this, what we want naturally, what we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately want. And what we ultimately want is undermined by immediately wanting that which is natural. Let me read that again. What we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately want. There's these things in our life that we think we want or need in the moment. But oftentimes it goes against what we ultimately want. There are things that come in our path that are not going to help me be where I want to be when I'm 80. Those things in the immediate the temp- temporary relief, the temporary satisfaction that I, maybe I give into, the, the humanness in me, it gets in the way of that which is ultimate. And he says, and we ultimately want, what we ultimately want is undermined by immediately wanting that what is natural. So it's that immediate that we have a hard time saying no to. And we do what we don't want to do. And so we, we fall into a temptation, we fall into a trap, And that's where we often get to the point where we hate what we've done. And so there's this battle. There's this battle that takes place between what is natural and what is 
ultimate. In Galatians 5, 19, he gives this list. It's not an exhaustive list, but he, he begins to list these things. This is another letter that he writes to a group of, of Christians. And this is actually in a, a different translation as well. This is in the uh, New Living. And so it's going to sound a little different if you're looking in your Bible, but it says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, an eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, so we, we put things before God, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Man, as we talk about what story we want, uh, jealousy is one of those things where we become jealous of the story of other people. We, we want our story to look a certain way, and we are trying to do our best and oftentimes when something happens to someone else and their story isn't quite going right, if there's this feeling of, well, that, that's, that's okay. Or, man, I don't want my story. I want their story. That this is the human nature in us. So this outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, or this me-first mentality. Divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. This is a list that Paul comes up with, and I don't know if this is his own list. I don't know if this is a list just from relationships, but this is the same Paul who says, look, I do not understand what I do. There's things I want to do and I don't. There's things I don't want to do, but I find myself doing them. And he is saying it's the sinful nature in us. And so I think a lot of these things, and, and he concludes it with the other kinds of sins, uh, these things keep us from experiencing the story God wants for us. Ultimately, I think it keeps us from experiencing the story that you want for yourself. Uh, James in James 1, 14 and 15 says this, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's two words in this. Two words in this before I get to 16. This idea of being dragged away. And that is some strong language. Uh, The language used would be that of of hunting prey or or that of uh, uh, an animal being lured away from his hiding place, of being lured away from safety. So in the midst of this temptation by our evil desires of wanting what is temporary or in the moment, we are dragged away. What a visual, just this idea that it is dragging us from the stories that we want. It is dragging us from the relationships that we want in our lives. Dragged away and enticed. We are baited. We are baited. We try and do right and something comes along and it drags us away. Our sinful nature gets in the way and it entices us and it entices us to choose the immediate over the ultimate. We choose the temporary over that which would last and it undermines our future. And then he says in verse 16, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't get thrown off course. Uh, Don't be led astray. Don't be led away from the truth. Don't get distracted from the story that you want the story that you want for your life, that which is most valuable. And it doesn't take much work to see that this happens all around us. Like, we only hear the stories of famous people. 
whether it's politicians or musicians or movie stars, we see that something happens in their lives and it leads them astray. They were enticed and it begins to demolish them. It ruins relationships. It ruins their future. Look, we don't have to look far to see that. But, but we're not excused just because we're not famous. Well, we're not excused of being enticed away from that which we see as being most important. And this is where we come back to, I believe, that following Jesus co- closely points us to a different way of doing life. That he points to the ultimate. He points to that which is most valuable. So in hearing all this, uh, you might think, all right, well, I'm not feeling very hopeful because there's things that I know I want to do that I'm not. There's things I don't want to do that I'm going to keep doing. Right? But, but how do we find hope in this? So you have Paul who ends Romans 7 like this. Romans 7, 24. He says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who is going to help me get to the story that I'm wanting to create? Who is going to help me when there's things that I don't want to do and I do? Who's going to help me not do that? Who's going to help me when I know the values I want for my life and the story that I want to tell? Who is going to help me get there? Verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says that Jesus is the one that's going to help me. And this doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain and turmoil that comes into your life. It doesn't mean there's not going to be points in your story where you're like, man, I didn't want to go down that path. But but the way it looks different is, and I believe that there is this grace that helps us get back to our story that we're wanting to create, that God is wanting to do in our lives. So we begin to believe that God really loves us. Right? And that that's not just lip service that I stand up and tell you, but for you, you actually believe that God loves you. That the things that you've done in the past, the things that we've all done in the past, the things we didn't want to do, the things that we hated, that even in the midst of that, God's love was not diminished for us. That God's plans for us are still available. They're still there. There's still hope that that God is going to do something in our lives and with our stories. And so what we begin to do is we submit to him. We, we say yes to him and his ways. And so we, we ask God, what, what do you want for my story? What do you want my life to look like? And we begin to seek his kingdom and we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. We, we understand the forgiveness of our sins and we follow him. And then day by day, moment by moment, we are thankful for his grace. One of the things that I would love to happen in the midst of this is, um, for, for many of you, maybe you've never made that decision. You've never made a decision where you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, I, I'm no longer going to just go my own way, but I really am going to lean into what God wants for me. That the story that I'm creating is not just about accumulating more or getting what I want, but, but the story that God is creating in my life might be more about what is most valuable to him and less about what I want. And, and so maybe you've never made a decision, maybe you want to make that decision, and then maybe you've never been baptized. Uh, bapti- ba- baptism is just this moment where uh, there's mystery in it, and we, we don't even understand all that takes place, but uh, you, you, you would be in a pool, and you go down into the water, and it's this picture of dying to ourselves, of coming out, out of the, up out of the water, and believing that God has made us clean and made us new. 
it is a celebration that we would have together. And so if that's you uh, here in a couple weeks, we're, we're going to plan on baptizing some people. And so I'd love for you to do this. And, and oftentimes we think, oh, the kids or the, the students or the ones, but man, there are many of us. There are many of you who have maybe never taken that step. You've never publicly confessed to your church family. And maybe you're looking for a church. Maybe this would become your church family. But you've never confessed that you're going to acknowledge and follow him. And so maybe that is the, the thing to do for you. And that your story, there'll be uh, a, a new chapter that is written in your story. That God is doing something in your life. And so for all of us, uh, over this week, I want to give you three questions that I want you to wrestle with uh, this week. So if you take notes, maybe you want to do it. Maybe you want to put it in your phone. Uh, maybe you do this alone or with a spouse, uh, maybe a roommate, uh, a friend. But, but three uh, easy questions, but, but maybe a little difficult to answer. One, uh, what story do you want at 80? What story do you want to tell at 80. And, and as I said before, some of you are blessed and you have reached 80, and so maybe it's 90, maybe it's 95. What, what is the story? Maybe it's 100. What is the story that you want your life to tell? The second thing is what is dragging you away and enticing you away from that story? What, what is it that right now is going to keep you from getting to that story? And then the, 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 really the question that might be hard to, to answer is how long will you keep letting it deceive you? How long will you let it keep deceiving you? And what will have to take place for it to no longer do that? For you to believe that your story could look different, that your marriage could go a certain way, that your relationship with your parents or with your children could go a certain way, that you could give back to a community and invest in a community. What would that look like for you? And what is keeping you from that. Greg's going to come up and, and lead us in this song that we sing every week. And this is kind of the way we close um, in a way of responding, in a way of saying, all right, God, this is what I want for my life, that I want my story to look different. I want to figure out what is most valuable. And, and I have to understand that there's things in my life that are keeping me from it. Would you stand with me as I, as I pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, I am uh, in this moment so thankful for Jesus. God, I'm so thankful that we are not on our own, that in those areas of our lives where we want it to look different, I I believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that we can change, that we don't have to be dragged away or enticed, that we don't have to be deceived, Lord. God, would you encourage us today? Would you help us to believe that our stories can look a certain way? Would we seek your kingdom first and not just what we want, but we'd wrestle with the idea, Lord, of what is most valuable. And then, God, would you help us? Would you help us to get to that that point where we seek you more than we seek anything else? I pray for some of my friends here today who've never made that commitment to follow you, to believe in your grace and your forgiveness. I pray that today would be that day. And I I pray that some people would have the boldness to celebrate and to to publicly confess that decision in in baptism. Uh, Lord, would you just encourage them today? I believe the enemy, Lord, may want to speak to them as well. The enemy want to keep them from from doing these things. And so, God, would you silence the voice of the enemy? They hear from you this morning.